Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about Michigan State's 67-54 victory over Oakland and the last game before Christmas. It was a good ice cream sandwich I had at the game. It was an uninspiring game. And uh, I don't know what to say about this game, except, you know what, for brief moments, Michigan State looked really good. They were sort of humming along and then just, I don't know, got stuck in mud or something. Uh, Also, of course, of note, it was the return of Rocket Watts, who wasn't very good. (laughs) I think that's probably the simple way of putting it. He had five turnovers. He had five of the eight turnovers for um, for Oakland. And, you know, highlights of the game for statistically, you know, um, Michigan State shot really well, shot 49% from the field, uh, 45.5% from three, although that was primarily due to the shooting from uh, just, just Joey Hauser, who was four or five from three. Aikens was three of four, and then Walker's three of eight, and everybody else was over. Uh, Michigan State was really terrible at the line, I think partly because they were People who don't normally don't shoot the line, like uh, uh, Holloman and um, Brooks, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess what's your overall impression of the game? Well, they played it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that sums it up. <laughs> there were about there were about five or six really good minutes of basketball. Uh, the first couple minutes uh, out of the shoot mm-hmm. at at tip which was interesting. It had me believing for a second that Michigan state might be a sharp coming off this layoff. And then that was laid to rest. Um, and then the beginning of the second half where they just couldn't miss, they hit five threes in a row, I believe. Yeah. Um, and just had the offense humming and were defending well. And then it just, look, the defense was fine for the entire game. I'm not going to say it was great. Some of Oakland's performances on Oakland being a bad offensive team, but MSU defensively was okay. They weren't bad, but offensively it was just really a struggle other than, and you know, you mentioned the shooting numbers and they look great, but my God, 16 turnovers. Yeah. You know, we just got done talking about how this team has been so exceptional in the turnover category. Well, tonight it was a couple things going on. It was one, they were coming off a layoff. I absolutely believe that contributed to it, but two, um, for a variety of reasons, a good portion of the first half where the majority of those turnovers occurred, I believe 11 of the 16 came in the first half was due to the fact that they had really bizarre lineups out there. And it happened because you had A.J. Hogard in foul trouble. You had Joey Hauser take an elbow to the head that I have to tell you, and you were obviously at Breslin, but I, I know that a sane call would be um, if there's no intent, you probably shouldn't call flavor. But that's not my understanding of how it's supposed to work. My understanding of how it's supposed to work is if there is excessive contact to the head, that's it. It's an automatic flagrant one. And there was that play that sent Hauser to the locker room. He got, he took it in the chops and for the kid's elbow. Now he was making a basketball play, blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, I think there, I think there was a, a case to call an offensive foul on it. Forget the flagrant. Because Hauser went straight up. He, he the principal verticality was in play and he got elbowed in the face. That's I, I don't care what the intent is. It's not supposed to be about intent. 
At least that's my understanding. So anyway, that hurt them because Hauser was one guy who played well pretty much the whole way. Yep. He was really dialed in. And so he missed a lot of that first half. And then the other thing was Pierre Brooks, who apparently was late to some things. And that's why he was held out of the first half. So that's why you saw a guy like Jason Whiten's playing as many minutes as he did, which really took Michigan State out of sync. And of course, there was a there was a uh, timeout segment, a huddle segment uh, that the television cameras captured where Izzo was absolutely in no uncertain terms, letting Pierre Brooks know um, that he would like to have him on the floor, but wasn't able to because of the things that Pierre did. Uh, he didn't put it that nicely. <laughs> so um, for that, for those reasons, you take those three guys out of the equation, you end up Trey Holloman playing a lot. Uh, Whiten's playing a lot. Um it was, as I say, weird combinations. Uh, Kohler ended up playing a lot, um, more than you would have expected. So that contributed some of it, too. I'm not ready to throw in the towel on turnovers and say, oh, we're back to the bad old days. But it was it was ugly. And because of the turnover problems, I don't think Michigan State, other than what I said, six minutes, seven minutes, whatever it was at the beginning of each half, they just never looked in sync. I mean, this, Oakland is a bad defensive basketball team and Michigan state only scored 67 points it, shooting as well as they did. Now I uh, give Oakland a little bit of credit that weird Bruce Weber was doing the, the um, color on the broadcast and he couldn't really tell what that defense was. It kind of looks like a, it kind of looks like a matchup, but it's, you know, he thought, he thought maybe it reminded him a little bit of the old Jerry Tarkanian amoeba zone, but whatever it was, it really forced Michigan state to use a lot of the clock. So, you know, I, I thought this was a game that in fact, Jack Ebling the other day asked me what I, you know, predict the score. And I think I called it an 18 point win, but I had MSU scoring 83 because I figured they'd finally be able to get loose in the, against this kind of opponent. And it didn't happen. So that's a little bit disappointing. You know, like I said, they played the game. <laughs> they, they got a chance to work kinks out again. They needed to play clearly after this much time off. There were some good things. There were plenty of not so good things. In all, you get the win. You end up getting it by double digits. The second half, essentially the entirety of it was played in double digits because they, they took it from the five point halftime lead to double digits in the blink of an eye after the second half started. Um, so it never got close. I mean, it never felt like Oakland was going to make a run, but you know, I, I I think when you factor in, I, I can't get that upset about it. Tom Izzo, I'm sure was not thrilled, but, um, I can't get that upset about it. You got the holidays knocking on the door, um, you've got, uh, the eight day layoff, whatever it's been and trying to come back from that, you know, th- those things contributed to a lot of the uneven quality of play, but there were some good things, Joey Hauser and especially Jade Nakins among yeah. them. I think those were the things I take away as positives from this game. Yeah. I think you, I think you see, if you haven't been convinced yet at this point that Joey Hauser is a steadying force on this team and he's the guy you can, you can rely on to you know, not make huge mistakes either on the offensive or defensive end for the most part. Right. And I think he's someone who's going to, you can rely on for scoring. And I think we're starting to see that Akins. I think that was his career high for minutes of 25 minutes in this game. I think it might've been a career high in scoring. 15, it was a career high in scoring I, too. I, You're right. It was. Yeah. 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 And, uh, he looked really and, good. And I would also add, you know, that beginning of the game, it probably could have been another 10 points. But I, Walker, I mean, for all the shots, wide open shots that he usually hits, I mean, they were yep. getting any look they wanted early in the game. And and they could have buried the game, finished Oakland real early and just didn't. And then, you know, that's kind of led Oakland in the game. Fortunately, Oakland was very good. And so they couldn't really capitalize that in the second half. Yeah. I think we should say it went on like a 30 to 5 run from the end of the. F- first half through the, uh, through the second half. I mean, I looked up and I was like, Whoa, it's 23 points. How did that, <laughs> how did that yeah, happen? In, in the blink of an eye in like, in like three and a half minutes or four minutes, it went from, uh, eight to 20 or five to 23 it was because MSU was just hitting threes. 
So and Oakland wasn't scoring. So it was a really one sided um, run. You know, I mean, if you if you if you talk about well, let's talk about those two guys, I guess, for a second. So Joey, 16 points, led the team in scoring again, uh, six for nine from the floor, four for five from three, only had four rebounds. But I think um, you know, it's funny. It says he played 28 minutes. It didn't feel like it was that much because of all that time he missed in the first half. Yeah. Um, I think he probably would have picked up some more boards had he played a little bit more. Um, four assists, but he also had four turnovers. And he was there there were some some points in the game where I thought he was just trying to make a little too much happen, which is a, a hangover from earlier in his career. But we're not seeing that very often these days, which is a good thing. Um, you know, he's just Every time he rises up to shoot, you expect it to go in. I mean, that's that's where he's gotten to in terms of his results and in terms of his confidence as a shooter. And and that's a big thing for this team as they get back into Big Ten play. You know, um, I had, as I mentioned, I did uh, I did a radio appearance uh, on Jack Ebling's show uh, yesterday. And one of the things we talked about were lineup options. And specifically, Jack was mentioning the small ball lineup, which we have seen Michigan State go to. Um, they couldn't really do it in this game. One, Oakland is already pretty small to begin with. But two, um, you know, Pierre Brooks sitting out the entire first half made it hard to ever have a playable lineup that you could have Joey at the five, right? Yeah. Uh, but I do think when this team gets into Big Ten play, there are definitely going to be times that Michigan State decides to try and test some of these other Big Ten, uh, these Big Ten opponents with Joey at the five, figuring your big man can't extend out to him on the arc. And we're going to trade you threes for twos. And you might not even get all those twos because we might bring some doubles. You saw Michigan State do that a few times tonight. Oakland's not a team with much of a post-up game. The way I read that is preparation. Yeah, yeah. For what they may do. And it, and it wasn't consistent by any means, but they would just spring it at times. Um, but I think that I think that's something that they, especially when Malik Hall was back, which was Jack's point, and it's a good one. When Malik Hall is back and you can play him at the four, Joey at the five and then an Aikens Walker Hogard combination on the perimeter. That's, that's an interesting team. And if they can hold their own on the boards and hold their own defending the post against, you know, the gumps like Dickinson and, you know, people like this or Zach Eady, Zach Eady's not a gump, but you get my point. Dickinson is though. If I, if I didn't say that clearly enough, (laughs) um, but, uh, I, you know, I watched some of the last, I don't know, 12, 13 minutes of Michigan's game against North Carolina tonight. And I don't even think North Carolina is playing very well right now. There's talent on that team, obviously, but I don't think they're very good yet. And they were torturing Dickinson down the stretch, getting every time they got him on a switch. Michigan was done for. They just can't defend. If you're Michigan State and he's got to guard Joey Hauser, so your choice is either he gets to Hauser on the arc or he tries to stop AJ Hogart or Tyson Walker. Yeah. That's that's not those aren't good options. So it's going to be interesting to see how often and in what circumstances MSU chooses to do that. But right now, you know, the the biggest part of that equation that you start with is if you're going to play that lineup you've got to punish the opponent from three, meaning Joey Hauser's got to hit shots right now. Your confidence level has to be pretty high with Joey Hauser as a shooter. And tonight did nothing to diminish it. Yeah. So I think that's something to watch for that's coming. Um, And we might see it as soon as January 7th. In fact, I think we will. Well, and you know, if you just imagine that lineup too, I mean, you could say last year, the hole there is Hogard, but now, you can't sag off Hogarth completely and just give, leave him just wide no. open. I mean, that is... 15-footers, he's, he's a threat. Yeah, well, and even from three, I think you'd say that's even dangerous, you know, just like leaving him out there without anyone covering yeah. him or even running at him. 
And remember, A.J. Hogard, a lesser shooter last year, still absolutely he and Joey Hauser torched Dickinson in the game at Breslin. Absolutely slaughtered him. The combination of Joey hitting threes and A.J. just beating his ass to the rim and finishing. Um, So they've already done it against this guy. Uh, But you're right. There's the added bonus of A.J. Hogard is now more of a shooting threat. Uh, that you have to deal with, and certainly Tyson Walker is. So, so that's the Joey stuff. Jaden Aikens just—he uh, looks like he's finally back to where they thought he was going to be in September. You know, tonight was the first time that I thought you could see all of it in sync. He looked comfortable. He looked confident. Obviously, three for four from three helps. He was five for eight overall, had four rebounds. And although they were all defensive rebounds, I thought they were impressive rebounds. Um, a couple of them. I thought he he showed off the athleticism um, and, and kind of the nose for the ball that has led some people around the program to say they think he could be one of the best rebounding guards they've had since Charlie Bell. Um, so a really, really good positive data point for Jaden Akins moving forward the way he played tonight. I was very impressed. And Izzo had called it. Izzo had said uh, in, in his press conference that uh, a press conference earlier this week, that Jaden Akins was, was starting to look like that guy. Yeah. In practice. So I, I think he's, and that's look, that's bad news for the big 10 because <laughs> with, with Walker and Hogard already, Michigan state's got, you know, good guard play. If you're adding Aikens at anything close to this level into that mix, wow. I, I just I, – I I think when I – and I'm derailing this a little bit, but I, I pay attention, of course, I'm sure plenty of our listeners do as well, to some of the national level talk. And my sense is absolutely nobody is talking about Michigan State in the Big Ten. Agreed. And I understand the reasons why, you know. Um, the fact that they, they lost against Alabama really weren't super competitive in that game. And then the Notre Dame and Northwestern losses that kind of took a little bit of the juice and the national discussion away after the Kentucky and the Gonzaga performance. And then the Kentucky game and Villanova wins kind of had them there for a minute, Mm -hmm. but I'm telling you when I look around this league Nothing has changed from where I was in October, which is a lot of these teams have suspect guard play and Michigan State doesn't. Michigan State's guards are a strength. And again, if you've got Jaden Akins finally rounding back into the guy they thought he was going to be, boy, that is a trio. I'll tell you this, nobody in the Big Ten is matching Michigan State's guards. I've seen them all play enough. It's not happening. They are the best. They're the best guard combination in the league, and it might be by a considerable margin. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. And I and I also think right now, I still don't think we're seeing the best Jaden Akins on defense. I still think he's a little bit. No, you know, I agree with right? that. If you had something to criticize about tonight, it's that defensively, he's not 100% there. There were a couple of segments tonight where I thought his leverage on on uh, in terms of on ball defense was not where it needs to be and he got taken to the rim i know rocket took him once and drew a foul if i remember correctly um but that will get there i don't worry about jay nakins on the defensive end but you're right about that that's still got a got some room to progress and you know just to speak in defense real briefly i I was actually really impressed with with hauser on uh, townsend he really um uh, was able to match him and even Kohler for the most part did pretty well defending him as well. Uh, so I was impressed there with his progression. Well, look, I mean, Trey Townsend goes six for 19. So that's about 30% from the floor. You can't complain about that. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you where I've really seen though, the progress for Joey. There were a couple of moments and I'd have to, I'd have to go back and rewatch the game to point out exactly where they were. But I remember vividly noticing them where you are seeing Joey Hauser making decisions in pick and roll, when to hedge, not hard hedges, 
but just hedge enough and yep. just long enough to get to the shooter to prevent an open jumper and yet not lose touch with his man. That is such a difficult thing to execute. He has come so far defensively. I mean, look, he's he's not Xavier Tillman. He's not Antonio Smith. He's never going to be those guys. But I would argue that the way he's played this year is better than functional, which is, I thought I think, where most people thought the ceiling was for him. I think he's actually a pretty good defender. Not great, but a pretty good defensive player in pick and roll. In the post, you know, sometimes his size is just going to be a detriment he can't overcome. You know, if he's forced to guard, you know, a Dickinson or an Edie, well, those guys are going to be able to score some against him. You know, there's not much Joey can do. But, uh, But in the stuff on the perimeter, which is so important in today's game, He's he's come miles and miles from where he was. And I agree about Kohler. I thought, you know, look, Jackson's still it, it just feels like he hasn't he, he's not comfortable yet. You know, that's pretty clear, right? I mean, there was the one segment where he pumped he's right at the rim and he pump faked three times. Yeah. <laughs> and the first two he had a he could have gone straight up and scored. It was because he did it so many times. He allowed the defense to actually get set to, to um, contest it. Uh, but you know, five rebounds, two offensive. I thought, um, I thought he did a, a solid job defensively, as you say. He he wasn't getting abused. And Townsend's a good player and a tough. That's a tough cover. You're asking a six a six nine six ten freshman to go out there and cover a six six guy like Townsend, who's got moves, who's got some athleticism, that's actually in some ways maybe an even bigger challenge than guarding a guy his own size. You know? Oh, sure. And, um, and I thought he held up okay. Because, you know, that's a, the Townsend was shooting 40% from three, so he's not a guy you can you can lose track of, on right? And right. so Kohler out that far is still able to, you know, now get exploited at least uh, with the um, outside shot. Yeah, the only guy who got exploited was Mahdi, who I thought otherwise played a great game. But again, I don't know what was visible to you in Breslin. There was a point, I think it was a, it was later in the game. It was a 19-point lead, yeah. and Mahdi got switched out on one of their guards. I can't remember who it was. And it was a, it was a mediocre at best contest, and the kid hit the three. Izzo called a timeout and just spent 90% of the timeout just lighting Mahdi up. Um, but that said, I still think this game was progress. You know, we will talk about it in the keys, but I wanted to see more activity at the rim. They didn't do a ton of scoring in the paint, but Mahdi had nine points. He was effective early and he had 12 rebounds, which by the way, is a career high. Yep. Uh, and I thought he looked good rebounding. I thought when he was on the floor for the most part, he was controlling the paint. You know, yep. so if there was a rebound around the rim and Marty was on the floor, Marty was probably going to get it. Um, and that's as much as you, you can ask for. So, you know, decent performance from him. I think it was progress. I wanted to see him get a little more involved. And I think he did. I think he was three for four from the floor. I mean, yeah, I was going to say he was he was a lot more patient and he he got sort of the shots he wanted. It, it didn't seem yep. forced like it did the last game where they were playing. Uh... Exactly. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed. 
all right, well, let's go through the keys of the game. The first key was health. And so I think, you know, the one answer question was Aikens. He looked great. He looked like he was totally fine. And it's just a matter of sort of knocking the rust off uh, the rest of his game. Uh, Malik Hall didn't play. So we don't know, although every word is that they plan him probably coming back for Buffalo to play some minutes. I don't yep. think he'd start. Uh, Joey took a elbow to the head, which is funny because I had no idea what happened. My wife and I were looking at each other because it was at the other end of the court. And it wasn't, it was under the basket. And so we didn't always saw right. Joey suddenly on the ground. I thought, it looked, but it looked like he was holding his head. I'm like, well, I guess, you know, that's okay. I, I had wondered if they were going to actually, my, my thought was, are they, are they going to run him through concussion protocol? Cause he got, he got whacked. I mean, yeah. again, you, you probably couldn't see it clearly. He took a full on elbow to the face. Um, so pretty, pretty good stuff that he came back and was as good as he was. I mean, the only other thing, you know, late, AJ, very late. AJ Hogard landed on the defender's foot. Oh, is that what Kind of okay. twi- twisted his ankle a little bit, but he seemed to shake it off. I don't yeah. think there's anything there. Right. And he he had hit previously 18 straight free throws, and then he missed both of those. I, you know, I think maybe he could have taken a few more seconds to sort of uh, recover, but maybe it wouldn't matter. So I think overall, health was good. So that, that was not yep. an issue. No one else got hurt. Uh, so next is Moore, which of course was totally uh, didn't matter because he was injured. Yeah. He didn't even play the last yeah, game. Yeah, well, we right really recorded. He didn't. This, so yeah, we had you know Jalen Moore. Um, we expected to play, and and they, this is what you get for for going early. If we had waited till Sunday night for Oakland's last game, um, we would have known that they ended up holding him out and are going to sit him until. I guess until they feel like he's truly ready to go, which is probably a smart move on Greg Campy's part. Um, as much as they want to beat Michigan State, yeah, this Horizon game doesn't matters. matter for yeah, them. Right. They they need to be at their best in Horizon League play to have a chance, and so it makes some sense. And on the other side, Lampman, their shooter, um, who I had understood wasn't going to be back until like mid January, is back. Yeah. And starting and played 39 minutes. Yeah. So his arm looks good. <laughs> I, I do think this. I think that pretty clearly um, they are a different, and, and this is no excuse for anything either way, but even more uh, at, at less than optimal levels is a vastly better option than anybody else they have at the point. I mean, they really started this game with Rocket at the point. And you know, that's a that's going to be a tough deal. I mean, Oakland only had 10 assists as a team. I think more, even in a down year, is averaging about six himself. Right, yeah. So it's it was a blow. I mean, whatever ch- – I, I still would hold to what we said in the preview, which any chance Oakland would have to steal one here almost has to involve more having a big game. The fact that he didn't play, I think, kind of took that off the table. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Lampman – he was three of 12 for three. So not great. You know, 25%. No, uh, when he had open looks, which he didn't have a whole lot. He, he bared a couple of those. And then the, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure what the, the heckler behind me, but he must really hate Hazlitt because he kept, he kept uh, telling the kid to go back to Hazlitt. So I don't know. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know anyone really cared much about Hazlitt. I, oh, well, that's probably not a fair thing to say either. That's, Definitely for some for a kid who went and grew up in Oklahoma, right? All right, so <laughs> I had good, I had plenty of friends in Hazlitt. Just all right, so um, the third key to the game was energy. Uh, you know, it was a game without the zone, which I don't think we even factored in. I'd forgotten about that. I was surprised at the game. It was you probably maybe you couldn't tell on TV. It was a pretty full stadium. I mean, it was I was shocked at how many people were there. I mean, there are plenty of empty seats, you know, places, but for a you know almost break year uh, break time it was pretty full and they weren't real loud you could definitely tell there's a difference in energy when you have not the regular band and when you have not the iso in there so in michigan state you know they it was definitely kind of i don't know what it's like in tv but it was pretty quiet in there for for long periods of time in that first and second half it was pretty quiet um i i you know i thought that uh I didn't think that MSU lacked energy. I thought they lacked cohesion. Yeah. So that, you know, stuck in mud kind of thing wasn't, in my opinion, because they weren't playing hard. It was that 
they just had weird lineups and coming off the lay. You know, I know I'm making excuses, but they're all facts. You know, you don't, it's surprising if a team comes back from that and is a well-honed machine. And then you add in, as I said earlier, three key guys missing large portions or the entirety of the first half. You, you see what can happen pretty easily. Right. Uh, so the next key to the game was points in the paint. I think we thought because Oakland was smaller, there'd be opportunities to exploit that. I don't think really you saw, I mean, AJ went inside a couple of times and Walker had a layup or two or two. It wasn't a whole lot of work that was got, that got done inside. I don't think outside of normal, you know, didn't, I know he no. had a couple buckets and stuff, but it wasn't anything like they punished, punished Oakland inside. No, they only, they only had 20 points in the paint, which is kind of substandard. Um, I, you know, look, Oakland's zone had something to do with that, but, the fact of the matter is I I didn't think what was the, if you're looking for one thing to be discouraged about in this game, I would land on this. I don't think Michigan state looked particularly good in attacking that zone. Um, if you're doing an effective job of it, you know, people always think, well, that means you're going to get a lot of open jump shots and it usually does. But ideally, if you're really attacking, attacking a zone, well, you're getting a lot of activity at the rim mm-hmm. because you're getting the ball into the middle. You're forcing the defense to collapse. And then you're able usually to kick down to guys at the basket. That's when, you know, zone offense is really humming when you're seeing a lot of activity around the rim and Michigan state didn't do, I didn't think didn't do a great job of, of uh, attacking that zone. It was a weird zone because I, I feel like I was watching it. Like I, I thought they're playing zone and then it looked like they're doing something else. And then, I mean, usually you get, yeah. you, you've set someone up sort of on the free throw line and you can sort of make, you can move the ball from there. And they didn't really have that option. Cause that's why I thought that Hauser would be able to sort of eat him alive if they were going to leave him. Yep. Uh, otherwise find shooters in the outside or, you know, people cutting. I, it was just a, it was very strange looking, which I guess it was strange to people. The people watching the TV. I know Izzo afterwards the game said Izzo didn't had no idea what it was either. Yeah, I was going to say don't feel badly. I'm 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 not surprised Izzo didn't because Bruce Weber's been around forever and he did he couldn't tell what it was. <laughs> so I, you know I guess hats off to Greg Campy. He's got a defense that nobody can exactly figure out. <laughs> um, but uh, well, they they did hold hold Michigan State under fifty percent, but I don't think that's a great <laughs> a great defense no, either. No. No, it, it, it wasn't, but, but I do, you know, I would like to have seen Michigan look, nobody in the big 10 is going to play that. Yeah. If they're going to zone, it's going to be something that's more likely more conventionally recognizable. Um, but I do think, you know, MSU hasn't, I'm trying to think back over, over the, the games we've played in the non-conference and I don't think they've seen a ton of zone. And frankly, I don't think this should be a team that you should be able to zone effectively because they've got a lot of shooters and they've got at least a couple of guys that I can see as good candidates, maybe even three when Malik Hall is back. I was going to say Joey Hauser or A.J. Hogard, good candidates to stick in that gap to the middle of the zone offensively. Uh, Malik would be a third guy, I think. Uh, they shouldn't be a team that is easy to zone, but who knows? Yeah. Well, and you know, sometimes you just kind of, you throw a zone out once or twice in a game or, you know, the possession just kind of confuse the team because they're not, a, you know, they're yeah. not used to it for suddenly, but that feels like that's kind of the one place you'd see it sort of like just kind of springing a press on someone where they're not expecting it either. Uh, and the final key to the game was offensive rebounding. Uh, this, you know, I, the rebounding is still an issue. I think uh, Oakland had twelve offense. Oakland had twelve offensive rebounds for twenty eight percent rate, which is not very not great. But for them, it's that was pretty amazing. And Michigan State had nine offensive rebounds for thirty five percent of their misses, which was okay. Uh, and overall, that's the reba- okay. Yeah, overall rebounding was forty one to thirty three edge for Michigan State. But you know, a, a number a lot of that is also due to the fact that Oakland was missing a lot more shots, and so it's a lot easier to get defensive rebounds. Um, I thought Michigan state's defensive rebounding was good in, and at certain points, but spotty. 
uh, but yeah. not a disaster. Anytime yeah. you're holding a team below 30, and I know Oakland's a horrible offensive rebounding team, but you know, be that as it may, anytime you hold a team below 30%, you're, you're, you're in a positive territory. Conversely, anytime you're above 30% on the offensive side, which is where Michigan State's been really poor this year, that's, that's decent. And we know Oakland's a bad rebounding team. So if MSU had not done that, it would have been really discouraging. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they did. And so I'm not saying the problem is nearly solved on the offensive end, um, but you also have to recognize small, at least small signs of progress where they appear. And I think that's what we saw, a small sign of progress. Yeah, and so other numbers to kind of look at. I mean, I think we talked, I mentioned briefly about the free throw percentage, 7 for 16 for the game, Oklahoma 7-11. But, you know, you had Holloman shooting two, Brooks shooting two, and Kohler shooting two. Now, all three of those guys should at least hit half, you know, one out of two. They shouldn't go over two. But uh, sometimes those things are a little contagious. And, and Hogard was injured this when he shot his two. Michigan State came into the game leading the Big Ten in free throw shooting. Right. So it doesn't matter who was taking them. To go seven for 16 was awful. But again, coming off a layoff, I, I can I can be forgiving on a one on a one time occasion, you know, obviously you don't want to see that spiral into something. I don't think it will. And you are correct that, you know, Joey Hauser and Tyson Walker, probably the two guys I'm the most confident in shooting free throws. Neither of them attempted a free throw. Aikens was two for two. Sissoko three for four kept up his, Damn, you know, that's important. Even in a bad night, three for four from him, you'll take, you mentioned Hogard missing too. We're we're okay with him. And then the other guys, you know, Kohler, Holloman, Brooks, a combined 0 for 6 between the three of them. Those aren't guys that are likely going to be taking a lot of free throws for you, especially not in big moments, because they're probably, other than perhaps Pierre Brooks, probably won't be playing in a lot of big moments right. at this stage, unless you're in a really bad spot. Uh, so one other number I think was impressive. At Michigan State had 19 assists on 25 turnovers for, or sorry, 25 field goals for a 76% assist rate, which I think was kind of more Michigan State basketball. Fast break points. Absolutely. I know your favorite statistic. Uh, Michigan State had 24 fast break points to seven for Oakland. And of course. Uh, okay. You, wa yeah. you watch that game. Yeah. Do you think that, that that's a number that would lead you to conclude, boy, they really had the transition game going. Did it feel that way to you? Cause it didn't feel that way to me. It felt like that during that period when they were humming in the second half. Well, that's true. And that's, I that's think probably true. where they got all of them, right? I mean, cause you get six yeah. threes and suddenly, you know, that's 18 points. Yeah. You're probably right. It's, but it's a misleading number. Because it is. Again, it, you look at it. Yes. And it, it, it suggests to you, boy, they were really flying and they weren't. I think you're right though. Um, about the ball movement again, playing a team that's zoning you, you would expect that uh, it, rarely against a zone. Are you going to have a lot of unassisted baskets? So some of that is a function of what MSU was facing, what they were attacking, but still when things were going well, it was in large part a result of great ball movement. I mean, they had a couple of the Jaden Aikens threes, they had one where A.J. Hogard got to the middle of the lane and kicked out. And then another one where Joey Hauser had a potential shot and shot faked and made the extra pass to Aikens in the corner. There were just great examples of judgment, ball movement, unselfishness, all of those things. Um, it was pretty to watch when they had it humming for those six minutes or so. <laughs> they were beautiful six minutes, yeah. And then I thought, oh, we're going to see a extended period with, you know, the uh, Sanders is Davis lineup. And then they barely right. made it into the game because they just didn't do enough at the end and allowed Oakland to make it semi-interesting. I mean, just, you know, to make you think, especially after watching Villanova. Uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. I guess the only other thing would be uh, turnovers where we sort of touched that briefly. There were uh, quite a few of them. But you know, most notably, I think, aside from... Hogarth having that turnover, what the second possession? Then he had eight assists after that, so he was really solid. From that if you're point looking for the too. silver lining, that's it. That your point guard was eight to one in terms of his ratio. 
that that is a number you like seeing. Um, and Tyson Walker, your other point guard, was three to zero. Yeah. Right. So the mistakes came from other guys. Joey Hauser, four assists before turnovers. Jay Nakins had two turnovers. Mahdi had three. Um, and then you get to a bunch of guys with one. Um, it was look, it was really disappointing. There's there's no two ways about it, but also not shocking. If you're if you're walking into a game after you've been off for more than a week, it's not surprising that the mistakes are going to pile up a little more than usual. I think the key is, because we're facing another layoff of similar length mm-hmm. coming yeah. up, can they be sharper against Buffalo? You know, that's what you hope they take away from this. Sure. And Buffalo's your but last I think, I think if Yeah, and I think if they're able to not have three regulars unavailable for half of a half, um, that will help too. No, they was definitely they were definitely affected by having Hogard get that second foul early in the first half, and then forcing you know, the strange. It's it's something we haven't talked about very much. I mean, between AJ and Tyson, they've had this penchant for committing kind of silly fouls in the first half yeah. that put them on the bench for longer stretches than they want, and that's something they've got to stop. Yeah, the second foul for Hogard, where he just kind of reached in, it was. There was no point to it. I mean, the guy, right. I don't know. And Tyson's done it too. Yeah, right. He didn't have it this game, but the point for previous games. Yeah. Right, right. And and you want both of those guys out there. They both need to be available, you know, um, because what, what ends up happening, and look, this is what we've been talking a bit about Trey Holloman, and I'm very high on Trey Holloman. I thought, you know, even tonight, I thought there were things he did well. I thought he looked really good defensively. He had, what do you have? I think he had three. Yeah, he had three assists to one turnover. So in that sense, not a problem. But let's just be honest. The offense is different when he's got to run it right now. Oh, yeah. Compared to when Walker or Hogarth. So you need both Hogarth and Walker available because those guys have to get rest. So you want one or the other able to be out there pretty much always, you know. Um, And when you don't, when one of them is in foul trouble, the other's going to have to rest at some point, and that means you're playing minutes that are probably suboptimal. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Walker's been – he has to be logging the most minutes for the team, right, so far. I mean, he played 36 today, and I feel like he's been playing 35 minutes yeah. about every game. That'll obviously change yeah. when Hall comes back. And I, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Hall's back at full strength, you know, which is probably going to be what we probably would guess mid-January, assuming everything goes on schedule where he's back in the starting lineup. You raise an interesting question. It's one that uh, Jack Ebeling and I talked about on his show yesterday. What happens? What happens with the starting lineup? And this was actually in a backdoor way, how we got to the small ball discussion, right? Which would include Walker, Aikens and Hall all out on the floor. But I don't think they're they're clearly not going to start games that way. They're going to continue to start Mighty Sissoko. So, it really, to me, is a Hall or Aikens question. And I think early in the season, it was a very easy one to answer. You know, Jaden Aikens still trying to round back into shape. Um, you know, Malik Hall, a veteran, probably the closest thing to a leader you've got. Mm-hmm. It made sense. What do you do now, especially if Jaden is rounding into form? What do you do now? An interesting option that Jack raised, and I'll throw this out to you, is it made me think is perhaps the answer is Tyson Walker becomes your sixth man. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Because he's a guy you, and and look, I actually think his mentality has been fine this year. I mean, you look at tonight, you mentioned the shame of it early on is he was getting great looks that just weren't falling. But I think the positive is he kept shooting. Mm -hmm. He took 13 shots. So I think his mentality has been fine, but, there is an argument that you could say, look, move him to a sixth man role and, and make sure he understands your job coming in. You know, you need him to play defense. You need him to help run the offense, all that stuff. But your primary job is we are coming in with you in a microwave role. Yep. You are coming in and, and that maybe that works and keeps him as aggressive as you want. So that's an option. I think all kinds of things 
are in play, but it is going to be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah. They've, they've been, cause it's a it's, question. Right. And he's, and Izzo has been sort of bailed out in some ways that he does. He, the decision been taken out of his hands, so he doesn't have to worry about it. And the players don't have to worry about it. Right. I mean, yep. Absolutely. Uh, I, th- I agree a hundred percent. There's never been a point this season where everybody was, was kind of humming and you honestly have a real choice to make. There's always been a, well, Jaden's working back. You would assume at least for the next couple weeks, uh, Malik Hall's coming back. So you're right. The decision isn't a difficult one. There's the easy justification right there. But at some point, you would assume, you would hope, that's not going to be the case, and there's going to be a real choice to make. Yeah, it is interesting. I It's easy to forget that this, is, this team has not been sort of right from the start of the season and to be what you know no. i mean eight to, and four to eight and four one one of the big 10 you know obviously you'd rather be two no but in some ways it's they're pretty good shot the shape because you think about this and imagine having walker come off the bench you've got him coming in after the under four break maybe and you just kind of spell hogard every once in a while and then then he can then he can maybe spell akins and hogard comes in and then you play walker and hogard together and while Aikens well, sits you know that's kind of what you i think you envision the offense uh you know, look, I think that um, you can still fairly question Michigan State's total depth because guys like Kohler, Holloman, to some extent Brooks, although he's a little closer to being ready to go, um, are not quite there yet where you're going to feel great about playing them in a two point game in uh, <laughs> Assembly right. Hall with eight minutes to go. But any of those three guys, Hall, Akins, or Walker, if whichever one is the sixth man, for my money, when you're talking about two-way players, offensive and defensive impact, any one of the three is probably the best sixth man in the Big Ten. Yeah. I was just kind of mentally, as we're talking, going through it and, and trying to think who would have a better option in that role that Michigan state does as in terms of total game, both ends. And I'm not coming up with an obvious one. There might be, there might be somebody out there that, you know, could make an argument to be competitive, but I don't think there's anybody that's clearly better than any, what any of those three guys would be in that role. So that is a strength, you know, your, your eight, nine, 10, probably aren't quite where we're used to seeing it at Michigan state just yet. We hope they'll get there, but man, that number six spot is healthy, whichever way it goes. Yeah. I mean, if this team's full strength, I really like, I, you know, I've, I've still like this team and I actually like them more than I thought all the things I kind of hope they'd be is they've, they've become that except they've been injured. And so I mean, the one thing I guess you hope for more than anything is just health and then want to see what yep. this team really can be and to make his own have to make those tough choices, <laughs> who he starts and how he yeah. distributes the minutes, which is a good problem yep. to have. Any, any further comments about the game or you think we pretty much covered everything there? I think we've, I think we've got it. I mean, I feel, I feel for Greg Campy because you can see some, I mean, I think Trey Townsend, despite the six for 19, he's a good player. And you can see kind of the, the um, I'm drawing a blank on the kid's name. Let me uh, look at it. The grad transfer that they got from Hervey? Missouri State. Keaton Hervey? Yeah. Um, he's pretty good. Yeah, he was he had good. A nice, I mean, he only went four for 12. It felt better than that, but he had eight rebounds, 16 points. Um, they've got, you know, and I think, I think Rock, you know, isn't great, but at that level, he can do some things like Lampman can be a threat. They got to get more back and, yeah. and then just get healthy and see what they can round into. Um, but for MSU, look, it was a, it was a game to get through, get guys some minutes, get back into the swing of things. And now they go in for another break and we'll hope for a little sharper effort against Buffalo. Cause I think they're going to need to be sharper, you know, um, Buffalo is not the favorite in the Mac by any means this year, but that's a, that's a program that's been pretty solid for right. quite a while now. And so I would expect that'll be a little stiffer test. Well, I guess the last thing we should probably discuss is maybe the most important one is the ugly sweaters. So I, we were listening to the <laughs> pregame <laughs> and Greg Campy said, I convinced Izzo he better wear his ugly sweater. Cause I'm going to wear mine. And I thought, Oh, this will be interesting. 
And uh, I mean, I think Izzo definitely had the uglier of the two sweaters uh, with that. <laughs> with the, especially when he became the angry elf and he got the technical. <laughs> well, I actually think that I'd love more, him to wear that, do that more often. I think it's kind of fun, but you know, I think he probably won't because they didn't play great. <laughs> so he wanted to do it again. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sure you're right. That was one we didn't talk about that technical. I mean, that ju- that was just unbelievable. I can't remember which official it was. It was obviously not Carstensen, uh, but um, one of the guys, one of those guys, is a guy who never does Michigan State games, and he's the one who called his over for the T, and it was crazy. I mean, as I saw several people comment on social media, that, that you know, uh, beat writers, they said that was about a one out of 10 <laughs> on the Izzo Richter scale. And for him to get teed up on that was insane. Um, now, Lampman, of course, missed the two free throws, so it didn't end up hurting them, but still, that was crazy. Um, yeah, the ugly sweater thing, I mean, good for them. Those guys have a great relationship, so... Um, yeah, but I I I I wouldn't want to see it again. <laughs> and I'm sure Izzo probably feels the same way. Can you imagine had they like lost and there would be all this footage of him, you know, storming up and down the sidelines yeah. in that little elf sweater, wearing the wearing the grin. Yeah, no, <laughs> no thanks. All right. Well, I hope everyone has a merry Christmas. Uh, you know, I I told the story about my son last episode, and I just wanted. I'm not going to write everybody back, but thank you so much for all the kind words everyone said. And I would, you know, again if. If you're struggling through your grief, if you're a parent who lost a child or something like that, I would recommend you check out my wife's podcast at uh, Losing a Child Always Andy's Mom uh, or Andy's Mom.com and get some help there. Um, so we'll come back. We've got a couple episodes to kind of fill in the space before the Buffalo game. We're going to talk about uh, the Big Ten and just sort of where we see the Big Ten right now and how Rod feels about his predictions for the previous order for the Big Ten. And also we're going to talk about... Um, uh, what else are we talking about? I can't. Remember. We had the AMA. Oh yeah, we had the the Ask Me Anything episode where we where we just we answer your questions that you sent to us. So uh, we'll get those out in the next couple of days, and then we'll get to the Buffalo preview, and then the gauntlet of the Big Ten, eighteen games, and we'll see how that goes. But until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.